so as we take a deep breath, grounding ourselves, knowing we're fully supported, closing your eyes if you're comfortable, please know with me that there is one, one supporting, ever-present, all-knowing, and ever-powerful spirit that is within everything and everyone. And know that spirit is within you and within me. I'm just so grateful to know that I am so fully supported, that I never walk alone, that spirit is here right now with each breath, with each word. And so I know for you as well that whatever challenges are showing up in your life, that spirit is there, God is there, surrounding you with its support, with its love, urging you forward for your greatest good. And so I know this world is a good world, and I'm open to it all. I soften my heart, I open my heart, and I allow it all in. I say yes to the challenges, the opportunities, the possibilities to further evolve, to dig deeper, to find those old hidden beliefs, not good enough. Well, if I'm one with God and God is good enough, then I am good enough. And so I'm just so grateful for that knowing. I'm so grateful to stand in that truth. I'm so grateful for each of you who've walked in this door on this long weekend, knowing that we are all here at divine right action, that there is something here for us. I'm so grateful for the musicians sharing their gifts, for our speaker, Dwayne Baker Henderson, who took such great care and love in preparing his talk for all the volunteers that have shared their day with us, serving us as they serve God. And so for all of this, I am so grateful. And I release this into the law that always says, yes, my beloved, it's already so. And I ask you to join me in saying, and so it is. Good morning. I want to introduce our speaker today, Dwayne Baker Henderson. Laura and Patrick are on some lovely R&R today, and that's great, they deserve it. So Duane is a committed husband to a beautiful wife, Corey, and to two tremendous children, Graham and Kalina. And Duane is a writer, a speaker, and a full-time student of life's experiences. His mission is to live on purpose and to inspire similar intention in others through his websites, his blogs, his social media, Duane shares his story and his wisdom he's gained through his life's most challenging experiences. His talk is called Waking Up to Possibility. Please join me in welcoming to the stage Duane Baker Henderson. Wow, those three big steps there are much bigger than they look when you're sitting down there. Um, my name is Duane, and uh, I am going to share with you uh, my talk, Waking Up to Possibility. And uh, in order to start, I wanted to share with you a quote, that one. Uh, it is from Kristen Armstrong, and uh, goes like this. It's not only the moving that creates new starting points. Sometimes all it takes is a subtle shift in perspective an opening of the mind, an intentional pause and reset, or a new route to, see, uh, to start to see new options and new possibilities. 
And that really sums up uh, what my talk is, is about today, is changing your perspective um, that you've created over the previous uh, stretch of your life so that you can start to see new things for yourself in your life. And uh, you'll see at the top of every page of this, there is a prism. And uh, that's a really good metaphor for, for what I'm talking about. Um, a prism, as we know, is, is just a piece of glass that separates out the different uh, colors of the rainbow from white light. And uh, our perspective works kind of the same way for our lives. Uh, there's a constant flow of people and places and events that come into our lives. And our perspective is, is how we filter those things and judge what they mean and, and assign meaning to them and create stories around them. And so I wanted to use a prism for uh, the header on all of these slides because I think it is really important that, uh, that we understand uh, what our perspective does and what it can do and to know that we can also change our perspective so that we can change what our life looks like and how we judge it. Um, and, uh, and so in this talk, uh, I have three main goals. I wanna share with you a little bit about myself uh, I don't know most of you. I haven't talked to most of the people that are here. I'm usually just the guy that sits in the second row right there with my family. And, uh, and so this is a really new thing for me. And it's something that, uh, that I really have wanted to do for a long time, share my story with, um, with people in a very safe, loving atmosphere. And this is it. And uh, I have to thank Reverend Tammy, actually, for kind of inspiring me to do this. Uh, I don't think I've ever spoken to Reverend Tammy, but uh, she gave a talk a couple of months ago where she talked about the little voice in her that, that really urged her to get up on stage and tell her story. And uh, her voice started talking to me. I don't know why that is, but, uh, but it really did. So I wanted to come up and share uh, a little bit about me, where I've come from, and how I got to be up here today. Uh, it wasn't just walking from here to there. There's a lot more to it than just that. Um, I also want to share with you the top 10 lessons that I've learned in my life. Uh, and this is something that uh, has been really tough to narrow down. Um, and I encourage everybody to, to take a time to, uh, to go through your own life and write out the things you've learned. It's amazing uh, what you'll find, actually. Um, I've had about two and a half months to prepare for this. And I've whittled down a list of about... I don't know, nine million things into just 10. And so I wanna share those with you today. And uh, hopefully in doing so, it will give you something that you can take forward to change your perspective and change what you see as possible for your own life. So that's what I wanna do for, for the talk. And I also have a, a private goal uh, that I will make not private right now. Um, this is actually something that I want to do. I wanna share my story in front of people uh, and uh, I've, I've talked in lots of business uh, environments. I've talked to lots of uh, people who are trying to, to grow businesses and things like that, but I, I haven't actually done this in front of a spiritual community where people tr are trying to grow and, and become more, and that is something that's quite appealing to me. Um, I don't necessarily want to do what Reverend Patrick does every Sunday, but this is something that, uh, that I've wanted to do for a while. And so this is actually me talking to me to get better. So you just happen to be here. I'm talking to this guy right here. So that's my own personal goal. And uh, now I'll kind of run you through uh, how I got to be here, but I'm going to have a drink of water first. You can join me if you want. 
Alrighty. So, uh, my early life was uh, full of lots of really strange things. And these are just a couple of the things that were kind of strange. Uh, I'm a product of the 70s. You can't tell by looking at me. I'm sure I likely look about 25, but... Um, <laughs> back in uh, the early 70s, uh, when I was about five or six years old, my parents got divorced. And uh, back in the 70s, that was something that was not common. It was very, very uncommon for, uh, for a woman to be living with her kids on her own, separated from her husband or uh, a husband with his kids. Um, and uh, my mom actually... Uh, was my hero when I was a kid because she just made it work. Uh, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always... Um, it was messy a lot of the time. And she got a lot of flack from the people around her for being this single mom back in the 70s. And, and that was really tough. And, uh, and so she moved us um, 1,300 kilometers from Winnipeg to the Edmonton area to be near some of her family so she could have some support. Uh, what that did for me is completely changed my world. Um, when you're a little kid, you can't really evaluate things that are going on objectively with a clear perspective because your, your time on the planet is so short. You don't really have any, any context to put things into. And uh, one of the things that happened to me because of this big move is I became very shy. Uh, I basically left behind everything that I knew as a little kid. Um, I remember the day that we were moving, the truck was outside of our house, most of our house was empty, and I crawled under my bed because I didn't want to come. And, uh, and that was kind of where I was at. And, uh, and when we moved here, I became very, very shy and kind of apart from the people around me. I had to find all new friends, I was in a new school. And then we moved schools about four months later. So that was another really um, big thing that happened for me. Uh, another thing that happens when, uh, when you separate like that is it really harms your family financially. And so um, being a single mom, my mom worked uh, a job where she was completely underpaid. And, uh, and so we had a lot of financial challenges. And, uh, and I was also very sick all the time. Uh, you could almost set a calendar by how often I got strep throat. Um, and... Uh, and what that did is uh, created in me um, all of those things, kind of an attitude that life was out to get me. All of these things were always changing and my life was always difficult and, and nothing seemed to be going right. Uh, all of these, these things piled up. And as a very young child, I was very stressed out. I was very cynical. Uh, I, was, I used to be really sarcastic. I, I, could, uh, I could squish down the, the best of them with sarcasm. Um, and then I met my friend Mike, and uh, he changed a lot of things for me. Uh, I met him in the middle of grade four, and he became kind of the, the solid thing in my life, the consistent thing. Uh, we were together all the time, uh, constantly. Uh, I probably spent more time at his house than at my own. And uh, his mom became my other mom, his sister became my other sister. And he was just a constant. He was always there. He was always strong. He taught me things all the time. Um, and, uh, and that kind of gave me a different perspective on, on life. It just, things weren't always terrible. When Mike was around, it was a little bit better. But I was still cynical. I was still uh, this confused little boy. 
And then uh, later in my life, uh, that continued for quite a while, um, I met my wife, Corey, or my future wife. I guess she wasn't my wife at the time, but... Um, and uh, things started to look up a little bit. And then I kind of reverted to the old me, uh, the cynical me, where um, I felt like life was out to get me. Uh, we had a couple of uh, unsuccessful pregnancies. One of them was, was really, really tough. It was a molar pregnancy. Look it up, it's a really terrible thing. Um, we struggled financially. I think that was something that I carried forward from, uh, from when I was a kid. Because you only really, um, you know what you know. And that's what I saw when I was a kid, was that uh, financial stuff was really difficult. Um, and I went through a series of really unsatisfying jobs. It didn't make me feel like I was contributing to, to the world or doing anything that was, was worthwhile. And then there was another change that happened in October of 2003 uh, that really, really affected me. And that was that my friend Mike, who had been my friend for 25 years, he died quite unexpectedly. Um, and that was, that was a really, really big thing for me. This is my friend Mike. That's the last picture I ever, I ever took of him. Um, and I had lost something that had meant a constant for me in my entire life. And uh, it hit me really hard when, when I got the call that he had passed away. And then I, uh, I went to his funeral and uh, I had written something to, to talk about at his funeral, but I couldn't bring myself to get up on stage to, to say, say what I had written. And so somebody else did it. I was just so torn apart that this constant in my life was now gone. And then I started to notice some things about his, uh, his funeral that started to, to wake me up to what was possible. I'm going to do this again. Join in if you want to. And one of the things that I noticed was that um, there were hundreds and hundreds of people at his funeral. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Alliance Church in Sherwood Park. It is about... 15 times bigger than this, and it was about half full. And uh, I thought Mike was leading the same kind of cynical life that I was, and a uh, life that was skeptical about uh, anything positive happening or contributing. And, uh, and so I had anticipated there being very few people there because that's what would have happened for me. Uh, I got thinking that if this was my funeral, there'd be 100 people here, they'd all be relatives, and they'd be here for my parents, not because they were remembering me. And that's when I really started to, to look at life a little bit differently. I started to look for um, the lessons that I could learn and how I could actually become significant instead of just kind of going to work and going home and going to work and going home and being not really nice to, to people and being sarcastic to everybody and uh, being skeptical, skeptical of my future. So that was the moment that I woke up when I was sitting in the second row of Mike's funeral and uh, looking at all of these different groups. And I realized that Mike had lived a much fuller life than I knew he had, which surprised me a lot because he and I were inseparable. We were really close. I didn't know he was doing all these, these things that he'd been doing, but looking at the crowd, I saw that there were uh, members of the RCMP there. He always wanted to be an RCMP officer, but because of his diabetes, which eventually took his life, uh, he couldn't. He, d he had so many health problems that he couldn't. But he became an auxiliary constable where he volunteered, and he went along on, on calls with them. 
He also, uh, through that, found that there was a need for, uh, for something for the youth in Sherwood Park. And so he got involved in something called the RCMP Youth, uh, which was a program to, to help uh, youth in Sherwood Park uh, not get into trouble and to do things that were productive. There were also business groups that were there. There were church groups that were there. There were massive numbers of groups, and there were probably about six or 700 people there. And, and so that's when I really woke up and started thinking about my own life and how I could contribute instead of just doing what I had been doing. And that's when I started to actually look for the lessons that life was trying to teach me. And, uh, and so these are the 10 lessons that I started to, to uncover. And on that very first day, when I was sitting there in the, the Alliance Church in Sherwood Park, uh, looking at Mike's casket up at the front, the very first lesson that I learned was to be grateful for every single thing that comes your way. And that's really tough when you're looking at your best friend in a box at the front of the room. But um, it's really important to be grateful for everything because you don't know what that is going to turn into. Um, Mike's death has actually uh, moved my life in a way that I never would have anticipated. And so I am grateful for his sacrifice. Um, sorry. Um, losing him was, was a terrible thing, uh, but it has also turned into so many blessings in my life. Uh, it was the last lesson that he taught me was to be grateful. And I encourage everybody to do that. Uh, whether it's great stuff in your life or it's stuff that really sucks when you look at it, be grateful for it because you don't know what's, what it's going to turn into. And, uh, and that lesson has done so much for me. I can't even begin to, to describe what it's done. The second lesson is that things don't happen to us. They just happen. And that was another big thing for me because I'd always lived that life was happening to me. It was always trying to beat me down. It was, it was difficult and uh, it was a big struggle all the time. But what I actually came to understand is that life is just a series of events that we assign value to, that we assign meaning to. And so by changing our perspective, we can change what those events actually mean. Uh, and so life isn't happening to me anymore, it's just happening, and then I evaluate it for what it is. And that gives me a bigger perspective on, you know, what are these things that are happening to me right now? The financial struggle that we had, what does that mean? The, uh, the health problems that, that we've had since, uh, since Mike passed away, what does that mean? All of the big challenges that I've had, what do they all actually mean? What are they trying to teach me? And uh, strangely enough, the biggest challenges that I've had in my life have happened since I started learning this. It was after Mike had passed away. Um, and I won't go into a lot of detail on that. I've actually got about 50 uh, videos on YouTube. You can look them up if you want to, where I talk about those struggles. Um, but, uh, but just understanding that, that life is, is just going on and we just happen to be in it and we assign the value to it. So you can assign different value to it if, if you are cognizant of that, if you're aware of the fact that that's what we're doing. Uh, lesson number three came from a book that I read uh, where Dr. Gerald Mann was quoted as saying, wait to worry. And worrying is something that I used to be a professional at. I could out-worry all of you all at once. I could just worry so hard that it would put you guys to shame. 
Uh, in fact, I had an ulcer by the time I was nine because I was a, a world-class warrior. And uh, when I read this quote from Dr. Mann, um, I really didn't understand it at first. But what I came to understand is that we have the opportunity, because life is just happening, it isn't happening to us, we don't know what the outcomes of anything is going to be in the moment. Uh, when I walked up here, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no idea. Um, and, uh, and so I worried about it a little bit, because I am a world-class warrior, or I was anyway. Um, but, uh, but once I got up here, I don't know what's going to happen, so why worry about it? Uh, you could all start throwing things at me. That's not permission. You, please don't throw things at me. Um, but I didn't know when I came up here. Um, so when I read this quote, Wait to Worry, it really started to change how I was thinking, where um, if I spend all my time and energy worrying about things that I don't know are going to happen, I'm wasting a lot of my time. I'm wasting a lot of my energy. Uh, I'm putting thought into things that are not worth it for me. Um, and in, in the book where this quote um, came from, I can't remember what book it was, but I remember the story that it came from. And it was about a man who uh, was really afraid that he was going to be arrested for something. He was a CEO of a company. And, uh, and he worried about it, and he worried about it. And then somebody told him, wait to worry. And uh, he had been worried that he was going to go to jail and that... Uh, everybody would disown him and that uh, nobody would respect him anymore. And uh, he decided to change that and not worry until the things actually happened. And everything turned out okay. So had he spent all of his time worrying about that, uh, he wouldn't have been able to be happy. He wouldn't have been able to sleep probably or be good to his family or enjoy his life. And instead, he just, he said, okay, I'm not going to worry about this. If it, happen, it happens, it happens. Let's just move on. And everything worked out okay. And that's really how it's, how it's been for me as well. When I don't worry about things, things tend not to turn out badly. It's a weird thing, but it's true. Uh, lesson number four is to live your truth. And on the uh, tiles back there, my tile says truth. Uh, that is my goal for this year, is to live my truth. Um, I've lived other people's versions of truth for me for a long time, and uh, it's not really fun. <laughs> I'd rather do what, what is true for me. And, and so that's where I'm going right now, is, uh, is I'm working on listening to that little voice, like what Reverend Tammy talked about, that guides me to, to do things that are meaningful for me, that are truth for me. And uh, I encourage people to do that, too. It, it puts you in places that you might not expect, like here. <laughs> you might not get up here, but it did for me. Join in if you want to. Um, and so living your truth is really, really the most powerful way to live. Um, in putting together this talk, I've had to go through my entire history and look at who am I and where did I come from and what's important to me? And it's really clarified for me what, what I want to do. Oh, Reverend Tammy's there. Hello. Um, and, uh, and it's really changed the way that I look at my life and I look at my family and I look at what I do and I, I look at what I have and whether that's important or not. And, uh, and really when it comes down to it, it really simplifies the way that you live your life, because you're not trying to, to be something for other people anymore. And uh, being authentically you 
much, much easier than trying to be somebody else's version of you. So encourage you to do that. Uh, number five is going to be an audience participation thing. Uh, laughing often is the fifth lesson that I became aware of. Uh, laughing is really, really important to me. Uh, and so I'm going to have you do something to make me laugh. I don't care if you laugh or not. Um, no, that's not true. It's important that you laugh too. Uh, but when we don't laugh, when we take life too seriously, we kind of lose the ability to, to look for the most positive things in our lives. We focus on uh, what's the terrible stuff? What's happening in, in the news right now that needs to make me worry about my future and makes me uh, scared to be where I am now and on this planet at this time? So learning to laugh all the time, laughing at, at life, not taking life too seriously, uh, can really keep you focused on the best parts of your life. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to find a partner and stand up. This will be short. It'll be really short. But I plan on laughing. Okay, and look at that partner in the eyes. Okay, you ready? Now stick your tongue out at that partner, and while you're sticking your tongue out, tell them your full name. Excellent. That's quite funny. So there's lots of easy things that we can do so that we do laugh. Um, when Corey and I were going through our toughest uh, challenges in our entire marriage, um, what I found is that I had stopped laughing. I'd stopped looking for reasons to laugh. And I started doing things intentionally when I wasn't feeling like laughing to start laughing. Uh, I would watch old episodes of Who, Whose Line Is It Anyway and all kinds of weird things like that. I never did that, though. I think that would have been a good thing if I just did that in the mirror every day. Lesson number six is to embrace change and uh, to be prepared to be just un basically uncomfortable, uh, which is why I keep coming out in front of this table, because I can't hide behind it. It's more scary out here. Um, change is a really, really good thing. Uh, even if it doesn't appear like it at the, at the time. Uh, again, Mike passing away, big change for me, but a lot of positives have come out of that. Um, I've also changed careers a couple of times, and uh, there are some people who thought I was crazy to change the careers I was in because uh, I had a company for 10 years. I was really, really good at what I was doing. It was a graphic design company, and uh, I just got tired of it, and so I changed careers. And I changed because of a dream that I had in the middle of the night where I woke up. And, uh, and that change caused several people in my life to question my sanity. But uh, because of that change, I have learned a huge amount and seen a much different world. And, uh, and it's been a really positive thing. And uh, I did this new job for two and a half years, and then I changed again. And again, my sanity came into question. Uh, but again, uh, it was the best decision I could have made. Um, and we've had changes in our, our family life fairly constantly. When you have kids, that happens a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, there's quite a bit of change. But it does add spice to your life. It makes it really interesting, and uh, it allows you to grow and stretch yourself and uh, become more of who you're supposed to be. And so embrace that change. Uh, take it on willingly, even if it scares you, even if it means coming up on, 
on a stage and having a whole bunch of people staring at you and wondering if your fly is open. And I've checked it like 50 times since I've been here, so it's not. But, um, but embracing that change is a, a great way to grow yourself and grow your life. Uh, number seven, that's not seven, um, is that happiness is a choice we make. Uh, it isn't something that we can chase. It isn't something you can find in a box somewhere that you can buy at a store. Happiness is a decision that you make. Um, when Mike passed away, and we went, when we went through a whole bunch of challenges in our marriage, uh, I had great opportunities to be depressed and to be sad and to wallow in self-pity and uh, to look at my, wife, my life, not my wife, and say, oh, woe is me, I would never do that. Um, she married way down. I don't know why she's still with me. Um, but instead, I chose to be happy. Uh, when we were going through really, really tough financial struggles, uh, we have actually almost lost our house twice. Uh, I chose to be happy. And uh, we came through everything. We're still here. We still have our house. Everything's still good. And had I not chosen to be happy, I don't know if that would have turned out the same way. Uh, because I would have been focusing on things that would actually not help us move forward in, uh, in our life. So choose to be happy. Uh, make it a conscious decision. That's the only way it comes anyway, so you might as well do that. Uh, number eight is to touch your dreams. And this is something Corey taught me, my wife Corey. Uh, I've always wanted to be a pilot, to fly. And so uh, I think I mentioned we were having financial struggles at one point. Um, one thing about learning to fly is that it's quite expensive. Um, I didn't have $150 an hour to pay for an airplane. And so what I would do to hold on to that dream, because it was really, really important to me, it still is, is uh, I'd go and hang out at airports, which is kind of weird. I'd go in the middle of the night, I'd sit outside the fence, I'd watch airplanes just sit there, uh, no people around, just me, airplanes, fence, that was it. And uh, Corey said, well, that's not enough. You have to actually touch the things that you dream about. And she encouraged me to go on the other side of the fence, into the airport. And, uh, and so back when the uh, city center airport was there, she encouraged me to go to the Edmonton Flying Club. And even if we couldn't afford to pay for lessons, to just go and hang out there and see if I could touch the planes and sit in them and stuff like that. And uh, that made a really big difference. Uh, when you can actually touch the things that you dream about, not just picture them in your head or have them pictured on your fridge or something like that, it makes it a lot more real. And there's a much bigger pull to it. So touch your dreams, really, really important. Lesson number nine was that it's already there. And if you've had a chance to read Acres of Diamonds, excellent book, it's really short, so it was good for me. Um, it's all about a man who goes on a journey to find happiness, basically. Uh, he thinks that, uh, that he can be happy if he's wealthy. So he goes on a journey throughout the world looking for riches. And uh, he ends up dying out in the world, poor, penniless, no friends. And the person who takes over his estate finds that his entire property is covered with diamonds. Acres and acres of diamonds. So he left his home looking for happiness, but the things he was seeking were actually there. They were right there. And... Uh, the idea that it's already there has uh, proliferated through our life. Uh, when we were going through our financial struggles, 
Um, we didn't lose our house either of those two times because we found resources that we didn't know were there. All we had to do was look. Um, and I'm sure we did a little bit of praying and we did a little bit of crying, and, but those resources were there. And resources are there for you in every aspect of your life, not just financially, but spiritually and emotionally and from a, a family standpoint, relationally. Uh, if you look for those things, they're there. Uh, so just take some time out of your day to, to go through your life and look for what is actually here that I can't see. And that, again, comes with changing your perspective. And the way I, I look at those prisms that I was showing earlier is that um, the cleaner your prism is, the more color you're going to see in your life. So by looking at your life and just shining up your prism, you're going to see a lot more. The colors are going to be more vibrant. What you see in your life is going to be more vibrant. And those things are already there. They're already contained in that white light that's coming into your life. Uh, you just have to separate them out so you can see it and make sure that your prism is clean. So it's already there. That's a great lesson. And number 10, you've likely heard before, is taking time to smell the roses. Uh, we can all get really busy in uh, our daily life, going back and forth to work, um, trying to deal with in-laws, trying to um, be part of clubs and doing soccer and all that kind of stuff. We can get really caught up in the day-to-day -day minutia of life. But if you actually schedule some time, and I don't mean like take five minutes a week to, to look at the nice things in your life, but if you schedule it, and this is something else that uh, I think Corey and I may have learned together, but she might have taught me, and that's probably how it worked. Um, if you schedule time every single day when you can think and you can uh, have some time alone and you can go and look for beauty in your life and, and just change your mindset to, you know, I'm going to focus on all the terrorist attacks that are happening happening to, you know what, those clouds are really beautiful. These flowers smell really good. My kids are amazing. Have you met my kids? They're amazing. Um, if, you, if you take the time to actually see those things in, in your family and in, in your life and the, the setting around you, it will give your life a lot more color and a lot more excitement and uh, it'll actually make it a lot more interesting to be within it. So take time to smell the roses. Um, I want to close, and I don't know if that was half an hour or not, but it's close enough. Um, I want to close with another quote, and this one's from Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, I really like this quote because it kind of sums, sums up what life is all about. And it goes, man often becomes what he believes himself to be. If I keep on saying to myself that I cannot do a certain thing, it is possible that I may end up by really becoming incapable of doing it. On the contrary, if I have the belief that I can do it, I shall surely acquire the capacity to do it, even if I may not have had it at the beginning. And that's a big part of how I got to be up here. Um, when I originally talked to uh, Reverend Patrick about speaking, because it's something that I really want to do, I had only gone to talk to him about how he structured his talks. That's it. Uh, this was not my end goal in that. It was uh, just, how do you structure your talks? Because they come across as quite powerful and, and passionate and, uh, and inspirational. And uh, I didn't think that this was something that I could do. I've talked to business people, like I said, quite a bit. But, uh, but this wasn't something that I thought was in my wheelhouse. And he offered me this opportunity. And my first 
my first reaction inside was, are you crazy? Why would you offer this to me? That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but what came out of my mouth was yes. It's like my brain wasn't attached anymore. Yes. And, uh, and so here I am. It's been two and a half months since I talked to him. And uh, it has been an amazing journey, the last two and a half months. And I'm very grateful to him for giving me this off opportunity and for you being so nice and not throwing things at me and drinking water when I was drinking water and things like that. So thank you very much. That is my talk. And uh, hopefully you have found something in there that, uh, that has been of value to you. If not, just ignore the last whatever number of minutes this has been. And uh, thank you again very much.